Welcome to Humanly, the podcast searching for the truth about health and wellness. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Welcome everyone to Humanly. My name's Daniel Reuters and today I'm joined by Dr. Jordan Grant. Welcome, Dr. Grant. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Appreciate it. You know, it's been nearly, it's actually been more than a year since I had you on last time with the Doctor's Roundtable. Yep. Time flies. It does. It's been a a great, yeah, two years, you know, since all this started. But uh, yeah, we learned a lot more probably in the last year than we knew then. What have you learned the last year? Are there any like standout points in your mind where you go, wow, (sighs) I didn't ever think I'd have that opinion? You know, I I won't say anything profound in the last year other than uh, just refining some things that I had already come across. I think because we were, we've been, I've been very uh, repetitive in the arguments I've made, which we can talk about. Um, I think repetition kind of hones things. Uh, it, It makes you get your arguments more concise and when I've done that with the, with the virus uh, issue, you can start applying a lot of that to other topics. So, uh, and I don't, I don't have any specific necessarily, but you just start looking at a lot of the things that were taught uh, in not only in medicine, but in, in quote unquote science that really isn't science. Mm-hmm. And, but once you understand the framework and how to look at those things, which uh, you know, I'm a big uh, proponent of the scientific method, um, you're able to tease through a lot of the nonsense and kind of just boil it down to simplistic terms. And a lot of people aren't able to do that. I've kind of talked to people in quote unquote academia and you under, you know, you start realizing they don't know that method either. And Mm -hmm. so they, they kind of appeal to complex technology and all their methods. um, And they can't actually just boil it down to the simple logic of the scientific method and how it's been followed or not. And so that's, what's been interesting to me is to see how people kind of, they think the more complex something is and almost the more convoluted that it must be true. Um, And people kind of think that anyway, right? They think, Oh, technology, that makes, that means we're getting better. We're progressing. It's the same kind of mindset. Like when things get more tech heavy, it must be mean that, that, that we're, we're smarter than we used to be, or we know more. And it doesn't work like that, you know, from a philosophical level. So, but um, yeah, just lots of uh, uh, refining of the arguments, I think uh, has been the main thing. It's been fun. Yeah. And that's something that we've had many discussions since the last time you're on the podcast. I always appreciate your insight and your sort of perspective on things, but yeah, as you said, that's one thing that you're a big proponent of is the scientific method. And it's kind of like, even though we're meant to live, we think we live in this scientific society now. I think we're living in a pseudo scientific society because we're not doing real science anymore. Are we? That's right. It's, I don't know where it's being done. Honestly, I'm sure there are people that are doing real science. Um, but once you know the method and then you start reading papers that claim to be scientific and you, you understand the method, you go, well, by definition, this is pseudoscience. And it's interesting because a lot of the, um, you know, the big players and quote unquote science, they, they pay it lip service, but you know, you've got guys like theoretical physicist, which is an oxymoron, um, <laughs> Michio Kaku, you know, who comes on saying, you know, nobody in my field understands, uh, uh, uses the so-called scientific method. It's uh, leaps of logic. It's uh, 
seat of the pants, you know, and, and he says it with a smile though, right? It's like, oh, no big deal, right? Wink, wink. Um, that's, that's what we're dealing with, okay? And, and people, I don't think people quite understand it because they, if you understand the definition of pseudoscience, which is anything claiming to be science that has not gone through the scientific method, well, that means there is a scientific method. That means all these things that are claiming to be scientific actually aren't if they haven't you know, gone through that. And the scientific method only applies to natural phenomena. It doesn't apply to, you know, I say like who's got the best set of tires, right? Or who makes the best toaster or who makes the best vaccine or, or you know, whatever. That's not scientific. You know, those are uh, statistical studies and, and randomized controlled trials. They're all useful. And that's not what I'm saying. But um, if you understand the scientific method, you can start looking at these claims that are being made specifically with, you know, virology, because that's kind of what our focus has been. And it's just so easy to do. It's so easy to ask the questions, you know, um, where, where did you, where were you able to form a hypothesis in the first place for so-called viruses, right? In order to form a hypothesis, you have to have a presumed cause of your phenomenon. Well, they don't even have that. They never identified such things in nature to begin with. You can't even get off the ground. And I don't think people are willing to accept that. They just think it can't be that. It, it can't be that simple, you know? It, and it's like, but it is. And that's why we always harp on, you know, if you, if you claim X causes Y, you have to have X has to first exist. And then you have to show that it causes Y. It's, it's yep. two steps, right? So yeah, that's, that's, I think it's easy when you boil it down like that and people hate that. And when you, when you talk to some of these people in academia, um, they don't like it when you bring up the scientific method. I've had some interesting responses. Um, you know, they'll come back with you with, well, science doesn't prove things anyway. It's like, okay, uh, so why are you still talking? You're still making positive claims, right? Like, you know, it's so interesting. It's like, but yet everybody says the science says, the science says, and then you're, now you're telling me it doesn't prove things. Well, what, what good is it? Well, it only disproves. Well, no, because then you couldn't make any positive claims. You, I mean, you wouldn't wear a shirt saying the science says this. You'd just walk around going, oh, we've disproven all this other stuff, but we really don't know what's going on. That's not science. Like scientific theories are not built on confirmation of nulls. They're built on confirmation of alternative hypotheses. You actually have to validate that, right? Like it's so crazy when you when you just tease that out and, and these answers are convoluted, but that's part of the fun because once you, again, once you uh, understand it, you can kind of keep people on their toes and, and you can also make it simple for people to understand. Everybody gets that. They, they understand that analogy, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a big deal. Cause both you and I have got science and health backgrounds and we can sit here and sort of just talk about, just throw around that term scientific method and it makes sense to us, but there's probably people sitting watching right now that have no idea what the scientific method is. So can you just pretend like I'm 10 years old and yep. just explain to me really simply so that the general listeners can get a better idea of what the scientific method actually is? So I would say in simplistic terms, the scientific method, the whole purpose of it uh, is to, you're trying to ascertain the cause of an observed phenomenon in nature. Okay. So you already, your phenomenon, it's the dependent variable in a, in a, uh, in, in an experiment, um, or in a hypothesis. And so you, you see something going on and you go, okay, I see that. And then you, 
you know, you have to think of possible causes to that. Now that is a problem in of itself, because that could be, who knows, if you don't even know anything about the phenomenon, how can you even, you know, postulate what might cause it? But nevertheless, you know, it's a hard process. People will have to formulate, okay, does this cause that? Or does that cause that? So you form a hypothesis, say, if X, then Y. If X causes this, then if I very manipulate X, Y occurs. And then you also have what's called a, a null hypothesis. If, if X, Y doesn't occur. And mm. X is called your independent variable. That's the, the thing you think is causing the effect. And this has to be something you can, that is real, that you can manipulate and vary. Okay. That's the whole point. It's not just, let me come up with an idea and say, if, if my theory is true theory, then why? And then you point to why and go, see, my theory is true. That's what we usually see. That is the essence of pseudoscience. That is actually called an affirming the consequent logical fallacy. And it is rampant. And I first, you know, started looking into this probably in the mid 2000s before I went to med school. And it was fantastic knowing that even going into medical school, because it helped me even then tease through a lot of this stuff. I didn't really understand the scientific method like I do now, so I, I still missed a lot, but it still was very helpful to, to kind of call BS on a lot of claims that were being made. Um, but, but essentially, yeah, scientific method, the, the whole point is hypothesis and then having a hypothesis test, which is your experiment. That's the whole point of it. Um, and your hypothesis is your, your if-then statement. If, you know, I think this is causing that. Um, in virology, it would have to be, I think nanoparticles are causing this disease, which you'd have to first find nanoparticles in a human being to begin with and think, hmm, I wonder if those are what's causing the disease, right? And then your experiment is where you vary and manipulate the presumed cause to see if it causes the effect. And that's it. It's very basic. And we get this uh, because it's logical. We understand it. Um, variations of this apply to non-scientific things like mechanics working on cars, right? You, you eliminate variables. You try to find the one variable that's the problem in the chain. You know, it's, it's just, it's just simple logic. There are issues with, you know, with this. And, and that's just where you kind of get into Karl Popper and a lot of the philosophers of science talking about the problems of induction. The problem is I think so many people have associated induction with science and the method. Like I see paper after paper and even books written where they start talking and they use the word science and scientific method, but then they go off and start talking about um, hypotheses that have no independent variable. They have no experiments. They're just, they'll talk about, you know, relativity, which is not scientific. And, um, or the, you know, anything you can think of where you, you dream up something in your head you have a model in your mind and then you point to effects and say, this supports my model. Yeah, that that's fallacious, but that's not science like that. And I think that's what I see from, I mean, I, I've yet to hardly find anybody that gets it right. And I, I know that sounds like elitist, like I'm some expert and I'm not, to me, it's just common sense. Like if you understand the definition of pseudoscience, this means there has to be a difference between pseudoscience and science. Well, that difference is the scientific method. Well, if you understand the scientific method's purpose, then it's easy to tease out what's not science. Like, it's just logic, right? Uh, and so, yeah, it's, there are issues with induction. There's issues with observation and extrapolating. Okay, if I observe this this many times, does that mean it's going to happen again tomorrow? Or, you know, you don't know that, right? Same thing with experiment. 
you know, I mean, just because you experiment and you, even if you do validate your, your cause, um, does that mean that applies to the phenomenon being studied in nature or does that only apply to what you did in the lab? Mm-hmm. Um, so you almost have, it's called a closed induction. So you're, you're, you're basically, it's a deductive, um, it's a deductive thing when you're in the lab, but only when it applies to that right there, it may not apply to everything else. So there are issues even with real science, but we're so far from even, at least they try. And that's what I tell people, at least in real science, they're trying. Everything else is just, it's literally just correlation or just reification, which is just coming up with models in your mind and claiming that those are reality. And that's what I think we see a lot of. And I think, you know, it's, that's the important thing to start pointing out to people is how to think about these things, because it's the, it's the foundations that matter. And you start teasing through the presuppositions for a lot of these claims. Um, And you can break that down real easy when people start making claims and you can see they're already assuming this, this, and this, and you go, wait, wait, can you show me where that was actually shown to be true first before you keep going? Let's, let's go back to the foundations and find that out. Um, and that's something that I'd say, yeah, in the last year, six months or a year, we've been doing for a lot of topics, you know, and, and I'm, you know, and, and I think people think I'm crazy because we start talking about the roots of DNA and, and RNA and, and sequencing, right? And those, oh, you don't believe in DNA. It's like, what do you mean? I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't believe in it. It's not that I don't think there's a genetic material. I mean, there may be whatever. Uh, we're trying to tease out, okay, you claim that this, uh, this technique in the lab sequences individual nucleotides right i mean those are what molecular right how do you know that how do you know that that test actually does what it claims who validated it and so we'll try to go back and find the original papers and you you start going man it's just not there like or if it is you can't find it it's hidden behind maybe somebody has it somewhere like i think those are important things to look into it doesn't mean i think everything's fake it, you know, people like this all or nothing fallacy where they go, oh, you just think that everything's made up. It, and that's not true. It, it's more just I like to know why I think what I do. And if I'm going to make claims about genomics or, or a DNA sequence or anything like that, I'd like to know that the tests being used to make those claims, I'd like to know how they were actually validated to begin with. Um, and so that's that's kind of what I've been focusing more on probably in the last few months is just kind of looking into other topics like that. And that's kind of in my perspective and maybe you share this and maybe you don't this is kind of how they're getting around the scientific method is by using this technology where they've got a test that has never been validated they dress it up as science they get groups of people and like we're going to do this test and we're going to assess this but the thing that they're using to test the independent variable or assess the independent variable was never validated against anything it was just some guy made it up you go back as you said to the original paper and it's baseless and then whole fields of not just medicine but science are built upon these assumptions that this the um technology is infallible and it's not yeah it's not um you have to in order to have a let's say a a test for something well the thing must be real to begin with You, you have to know that it's real to have a test for it um, and that's just all we're asking is if, if you're going to claim this test is finding this only this one thing, that's a big claim because some tests might find composite for a lot of reasons, right? And they call those false positives. They're not false. They're just positives. And you have to know, you know, so how do you know which one is, is, is getting the specific thing you're looking at? Um, 
And so, you know, in, in virology, right, we started with this two years ago, talking about the PCR test, and they admitted there's no, there's no gold standard. And you go, well, what, is, what does that mean? There's no gold standard against which the PCR is validated. Well, that means there wasn't an actual virus. You know, they, they basically made this sequence up in a computer. And once you start understanding that they did that, and there's more mainstream coming out and talking about that now, about the genomics issue and the it's all computational, right, in silico. Well, that shines the light on not just virology, but genomics as a whole, right? Because they use these same techniques, this um, finding consensus sequences that are built based on a model or an idea after they've discarded X million nucleotides and then they stitch it together with presuppositions, right? Like that, that blows apart a lot of the field. And I know people don't want to hear that. And they're going to say, this guy didn't know anything. He's a urologist, whatever. I don't care. I mean, all I care about is the argument. If you can, it's not, I'm not saying prove me wrong. I'm saying, just show me the validation. Like I'm, I'm learning here. Like, I just want to know more. This Mm -hmm. is not me trying to just point fingers and say, these guys are all wrong. It's just me asking questions. And And I think intellectually honest people and researchers would go, yeah, let me show you how that was validated. Or if they didn't know, they would go, you know what? That's a good question. Let me look into that. And I think if more people did that, they might be a little alarmed at what they would find. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. And for me, when I sort of look at a lot of these papers, which are claimed to be scientific, um, it's very apparent to me that they're not. But unfortunately, we have been almost brought up through our education system to just accept what you read in the paper as fact and you don't question anything and if you do you're a science denier and that's what we've done certainly over the last two years is is really look into some of these fundamental issues around viruses and bacteria and just health in general and and our understanding about genetics and we sort of strip it back to the bare bones and you realize that literally all of these things are based upon false premises and I think people get upset about that because what they're doing is they're, in my perspective, is that they're, they're developing this false paradigm or these false assumptions. They're developing tests to verify their false assumptions. And then they say, well, it must be real because I'm using the test to verify X, Y, Z. So how can it not be real? Because this test says that it's, it's so. And that's what's happened, especially with genetics. Because I don't think a lot of the things that they, I think the guy who even discovered all that sort of DNA, he didn't even have a method of testing or assessing what he was talking about. He just sort of made it up. <laughs> we accepted his fact. So, so much of it is built on models that they've already made up in their minds. They think this is probably how it's work, it works. And then they'll look for evidence to corroborate that model. That is, that's fallacious, right? Like that's, you're, you're kind of begging the question. Um, and then you're affirming the consequent by saying, you know, if X, then Y, Y, therefore X. And they do that with tests. They say, well, the test, the test tells me I had COVID and you go, what's COVID, right? Like you you can't point to the effect to prove the cause unless the, unless it's a perfect antecedent consequent relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Um, it's like, I always tell people to make that sound, uh, cause that sounds weird with people that don't know what I'm talking about. It's like pointing to, um, saying, you know, if it rains, my car will be wet. And then I point to a car outside and go, oh, a car's wet. It must have rained. Mm. No, maybe not. Maybe somebody came by and poured water over it. Maybe the sprinklers went off. You know, there could be, that's just one simple example. Or, you know, saying, you know, if I eat a pizza, I'll be full. I'm full. Therefore, I must have eaten a pizza, right? (laughs) I could be full for a lot of reasons. So 
it's the same thing though. It's, it's so easy when you think of it in those kind of examples, it's like, everybody gets that, you know, it's like, you know, our favorite one is saying, uh, you know, pointing to presence under the tree to prove that Santa's real. It's like, well, yeah, see the, pre- the presents are there. So he must be real. And you go, you gotta, you gotta show me Santa. And it's the same exact thing, but people can't boil it down that easy when there's all this hodgepodge of technology involved with these tests and assays, because they're so hard to even know how you just trust the, the, the recipe that you did in the lab. That's what they're doing. They're following a recipe and they just trust the outcome is telling them what they think it is. And so they'll point to the test or the effects to go, we'll see, yeah, that validates my, my, my story. Um, but you're right. Like so much of it is a model and it, and it was interesting with virology, right? Because the, the virus, even the term morphed through the years, right? Like, so originally they would, you know, even in bacterial papers, they'd still use the term the virus because they thought of the virus. It was a poison, was a, a noxious substance was whatever. And it didn't, you know, so it morphed into something different down the road where it became these self-replicate or replicating nanoparticles that nobody ever identified in a human to begin with to prove the cause, right? But it gets hard to tease through that stuff unless you put in the time to really go through those papers. And, and I mean, back to the, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, when they still just thought of it as this poison, they just, just sort of a colloquial term they used, right? It was like, well, it's not a bacteria, so it must be a virus, meaning some poison. They just don't know, right? That alone is just wild speculation, you know, without understanding how other ways we might become diseased or ill. Um, so they already had that in their mind, right? They had the model, and then they refined the model without any real-world proof at all until it, the model just becomes, you know, what it is today. And, um, you know, it's interesting when you, when you realize how many things have been done that way. Um, and so that's kind of, that's what we've been trying to do is just tease through some of the, the premises, the premises, um, and, and see what is, what has been validated and what's just a model in someone's mind. And I think that's important. Like if we're ever going to get to the roots of some of this stuff, it's important to look at that. And honestly, it's not being a conspiracy theorist. You know, they use all these terms, science denier. I'm actually the one talking about science. Yes. You know, that's, that's the ironic part is I can sit there and show them the scientific method, show you the definition of pseudoscience and say, you guys are actually the ones promoting pseudoscience. That's the irony. And they don't care. And they just call you a name or they appeal to your, your expertise or whatever. But you're right, um, Daniel. It's, I don't know what it is. It's, it's indoctrination from an early age. I think it's, it's sort of the appeal to experts, right? You're taught, you know, when you go through, especially like a government school, um, you listen to your teacher. Right now, that teacher may not have a clue that what they're teaching you is true or not. They're teaching a curriculum, you know, and they're doing their job. And your job is to regurgitate what you've been taught so you can pass a test. And so it's structured like that in so many areas of life from grade school. And it gets worse as you get into college and then worse as you get into upper levels of training. Um, and so you're so buckled down with that mindset. You're not thinking about, are these things true or not? You're like, I want to get good grades to get a good job. And it's so it's, it's all about the priorities. But the appeal to experts has been around forever. This is not new. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it was Plato was big on that, on, huge on wanting the world to be run by experts. Um, Aristotle, massive fan of the state. I mean, I was reading something the other day, a guy sent me from Aristotle a translation. It was, it was the worst thing I'd ever seen. 
saying that the, the state precedes the individual. The, the, I mean, it was just insane. Um, it's the other way around. Yeah, yeah. You got to have text, text people to make up a state. Yeah. Um, but you just see the mindset, right? Like they held this, you know, this authority structure up in their mind as being the end all be all. And that just proceeds through history. We see it all the time, whether it's kings or experts. And now it's doctors and scientists. It's white coats, right? It's just it's the same principle. Um, and it's government agents now, too. I mean, politicians, people hold them up on a pedestal or, or, or Hollywood stars or whatever. Like, and then when you try to bring up points, people say, well, you're not an expert, you know, and that's that they think that's an argument. And, and instead, we should be focusing on the actual arguments instead of who's saying it. Right. Because um, that's a, that's fallacious. So, yeah, who's saying it doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter if if you were because people say, oh, what would you know, Dr. Grant? You're, you're a urologist. You have no training in um, virology or infectious diseases. Therefore, anything you put forward is redundant automatically by the very virtue of your lack of qualification in that area. But even if you were a virologist or an infectious disease expert, people would say they'd come up with some other excuse to sort of put you down and belittle you because they're skirting around the fundamental issue of the fact that there is no science there to back up what they're saying. That's right. That's right. If you come out... If you actually are a subject matter expert, which again, you can become a subject matter expert without being officially trained in that area. If you put the time in and you understand the papers and you have a a mind and you understand logic, you can actually become, I mean, we have talked to people that have claimed to be virologists or worked with viruses, quote unquote, and put them to the test with just some simple questions and they, they don't have a clue what we're even talking about, right? They don't even question their methods or the logic like and i'm not saying we know more and in a sense we do because we're breaking it down to the logical level the method right Hmm. proving x causes y they don't even think about it like that and they don't you know and i I remember having that conversation through an email with a uh he was a veterinarian who said he had worked with viruses in training you know and and it was uh, i was going through an intermediary asking questions and well, how how do you know there was a virus there? And he's like, well, you know, we saw the cytopathic effect. And I said, so you assume the cytopathic effect equals virus. Mm. I'm like, that's, don't you think that's strange? You're appealing to the effect to prove a cause when you don't know about the cause exists. He's like, well, you know, he kind of, I think he finally said, you know, yeah, I mean, we just assume that we just assume that CPE means virus. Like, That's a problem. Okay. Like, and, but there's a lot of them that don't grasp it. You just, you, you just, and it's, you're hitting a brick wall. And I think for some people, I think it's just hard to think like that. They've never even thought outside of that narrow box they've been given uh, again to even understand because they never are taught the scientific method. Right. I mean, we might hear about it in fifth grade, but it's just gone. Um, but you know, they're in that paradigm, right. They're locked in that paradigm. And if you bring something that's going against their paradigm, the cognitive dissonance sets in, it's defense mode, right? Like, no, you know, I can't listen to this. It can't be true because that means these things I've been saying and doing might not be relevant. And so there is a, I get it. It's human nature to, to get angry with people questioning, you know, maybe what you do for a living, like us questioning virologists, but I don't care. I mean, I, I've made many mistakes. I've thought many things that were wrong. And I happily admit that um, because I really just care about the truth and doing the right thing. And I think an intellectually honest person 
with integrity would do the same thing. And that's what worries me the most, I think, about a lot of this is you're not finding that in a lot of people in academia, at least not the big wigs or the mouthpieces for this stuff. You can't even question. Um, and a lot of that's because it's tied in with politics, the, the power structures and the money and all that. There, it's not about truth. It's not about health. Um, it's about status quo. It's about more vaccines and drugs. Like we, we all know that. So the other thing that I always sort of have a laugh at is when they do an experiment and they want to isolate a virus and they take some cells and they poison it in a cell culture, they say, Oh, that's proof of the virus. No, 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 no. All that's proven is that you can, this is what happens to cells when you poison them in a right. tissue culture, even if what they claim, what they're doing is actually true and there is a virus being produced, they've once again never taken the independent variable, just that virus from the cell culture and expose it to a healthy host, I don't care, animal, human, mm-hmm. and proven it to cause disease. So when you're doing all these cell culture and tissue culture experiments or in vitro experiments, it proves nothing because you can't just do that and then extrapolate it. Like if you do it in a mouse, it only tells you what happens when you put a mouse in very specific conditions and you do very specific things to it and you get the effect. Okay. That's an experiment to prove that exactly that methodology arrives at that outcome. You can't then take that outcome and go, Oh, well, therefore (laughs) this must be what happens in a human being. And that's what most of not just medicine, but most health modalities where they yeah. claim a lot of or get there a lot of their evidence from are these dodgy in vitro or dodgy sort of rodent studies in stressed out mice that are being poisoned. It's amazing when you look back at the what they've done. It's, it's laughable, honestly. I mean, in a sick way, and you go, this has nothing to do with uh, even their supposed natural roots of, of infection that they think is going on. Well, they're just injecting animals with abnormal stuff. Like that, what does that prove? I can, I can, you can inject people with all kinds of things and make them sick. We're not meant to be injected with foreign proteins. Um, you know, I'll, I want to step back to what you said real quick, though, because it's not just about the cell culture. It's not about finding particles in a cell culture and introducing them, because that's not what's being talked about. Their hypothesis is that these things come from humans or animals and invade other humans or animals. So you have to start there. You have to find your, your independent variable, the thing you think is causing it. It has to be real. It has to exist first in, in us, right? And you take it from there and you introduce it in a supposed natural route of contagion and then show that it causes what you think it does, right? So, you know, that's where even though the Spanish flu studies, um, there was no virus being taken, you know, as an isolated thing from people. But as far as their contagion hypothesis, that was a, a brilliant study. It was perfect the way they did it. And they did more, right? You've talked about that. Um, you know, exposing actual humans to each other, their breath, their spit, you know, talking face to face, coughing each other's mouths. Nobody gets sick. Well, there you go. That's all. That's it. It's so simple, right? But people don't like simple. Oh, we got to find ways to, to get our effect that we want to see. So let's start injecting uh, brain matter into the brains of monkeys. Right. And then we'll call that proof of a virus, you know, like they did in polio. Or they take it the other way. So they give an antibiotic or they give an antiviral, they give an injection. They say, well, the person got better or they didn't get sick. Therefore, they Mm -hmm. were protected against the the thing, the the germ. Or 
you know, we don't have to prove that there's a germ causing disease because when you take an antibiotic, you get better. So it must have been the bacteria causing the problem. It's like, that's, it's a completely it's, flawed argument. That's, yeah, that's again, affirming the consequent logical fallacy because they're, they're showing, saying, well, this works. Therefore, my story must have been true as to why it worked. That's not how it works, <laughs> pun intended. Um, you have to show that that's that the reason, there can be other reasons something, an intervention you did, quote unquote, worked, right? If you suppress symptoms, if you suppress the bodies to express healing, does that work? Well, it depends on how you define work, right? So my definitions matter. If by work, you means you mean uh, doing something helpful to the organism. No, that didn't work. You suppress symptoms. If you mean getting an outcome you liked because you think symptoms are bad, yeah, it worked. And you could give somebody a steroid shot and do the same thing, right? You suppress their healing response. That's why that's done all the time, every day. Oh, you got a little shoulder inflammation. Let's inject your shoulder for the next few months with steroids and weaken, weaken the tendons even more. But don't worry, you're going to feel good. Um, that's not, is that working? Again, depends on who defines work. And so that's why definitions matter and the philosophy matters. How are you viewing these things? If you think symptom suppression is the goal, Hey, go for it. That's Western medicine. You know, that's modern allopathic medicine. Um, but that's not true health and that's not getting down to the cause. Um, you know, one of my favorite, um, philosophers, um, he's a Christian and I'm, I, I make no bones about it. I'm a Christian and I come, I've come to things with that worldview, but he was a philosopher first and foremost. And he gave a really good example of a story of milk fever. And um, I think it was something cows used to get in their udders or udders would get swollen. So they assumed it was bacterial and they came up with a solution that would inject into the udders of the cows called Lugol's solution. And it would basically sterilize them. Well, it worked, fixed the milk fever. So they assumed, oh, must be right. must've been a bacteria. Well, the story goes that one day a veterinarian ran out of Lugol solution. So he injected saline into the udders. Guess what? No more milk fever. Then they found out they could inject air into their udders. No more <laughs> milk fever. So it had nothing to do with quote unquote, sterilizing the udders. It just was a probably an obstruction or something like that. And they were freeing it up. So you can't assume that what you did, but it's because it worked, it worked for the reasons you think it did. And that's where we've gone off the rails with technology because people equate technology and technological advance with science. They're not the same thing. Technology and improvements and all these wonderful things we have come with tinkering and trial and error and great things that we have, if you think they're great, um, doesn't mean you actually know why they're doing the things they're doing at the basic level. And that's where I see people really get confused with that, especially the big big techies and NASA fanboys and all that, they go, Oh yeah, look at all this technology. But it means that our stories are true. No, it doesn't. It's, it's fallacious reasoning. You gave me or sent me a paper, which I think is really interesting or maybe an article to a, a newspaper that was talking about this study. Anyway, um, I think we've been looking at the same study, the one published in nature where they're talking about how bacteria are now shown to change in relation to the food source in, I think they're talking about the gut microbiome right. and they're saying that the food source is other dysfunctional bacteria and dead and damaged tissue. Right. And that's what we've been saying all along is that the reason the bacteria are there is because they're feeding on the dead and damaged tissue. But that paper is sort of almost there, 
but they're just they're just missing the mark because they're still blaming the bacteria as the cause of the issue they're not understanding that the tissue got damaged first from something else that set the environment and then the body responded then the bacteria responded it wasn't the other way around but it's interesting to see papers like that come out because it is sort of now moving towards our line of thinking I agree. And I think one day it'll get there. It may not be in our lifetime. Um, you know, right now they can't go outside the paradigm. It wouldn't, it wouldn't get published. You know, if you go outside and just, just turn everything on its head and say, we've been looking at it wrong guys. We've been confusing the, the cause for the effect, the effect of the cause. Uh, they're not going to do that. It's, it's going to be piecemeal, but I think eventually that stuff will come out. If you put the pieces together. Um, I found that studies fascinating, you know, mm-hmm. and the problem is, you know, there are there, there are people who walk the line, you know, they they of both worlds where they will admit, yeah, you know, most bacteria aren't harmful. They're there to clean up dead debris. But there's there's these certain ones that are the pathogenic ones or they become pathogenic, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, OK, let's dig into that. Let's dig into that. How do you know that? And don't show me, you know, that because you bred them in a Petri dish in artificial conditions and took a boatload of them and injected them into the peritoneal cavity of a guinea pig. That, that doesn't tell me anything about reality. I want you to actually, let's devise some real meaningful experiments that mimic something that you think is natural um, and then try to figure it out. You know, I mean, because that's the problem too, is even the studies that we like that, that help us and bolster, you know, our uh, biases, we have to be careful. Because you have to look at them with the same skeptical eye and go, okay, what were they really doing in this paper? Is this a contrived scenario or is this a natural, you know, setting? Can you even do science on a human at all is, is kind of where, you know what I mean? Because you, you mm-hmm. cannot study what's going on inside me with any kind of independent variable because it's everything's interconnected. Is there one thing causing this and that? No, probably not. It's all connected. It's a, it's a symphony. Um, and so that's why I think principles of health matter more when it comes to talking about human health than all this minutia that's done outside the body in reductionist ways, right? Where you, you homogenize, you fractionate, you get things down to individual levels that you don't know that they exist like that in the body to begin with. Mm. And then you run some tests on them and then make claims about what they do in the body. And that's what they do. They mm. they come up with all these new molecular markers every year. There's a new marker and they go, this is what causes this in the body. It signals this. It's like, you don't know that. You don't, you don't know that. Um, so, yeah, we, we have to be skeptical with a lot of this stuff. But I, I do think there's probably ways to study it. Uh, and I'm not smart enough to tell you how to do it. I'm not a scientist. I'll be the first one to tell you that. These people that can think like that and really know how to do proper controls and how to control for all these things, they're going to figure it out one day. But they won't do it as long as they've got the wrong paradigm. Right. If, if they're if they're not just thinking about it like a scientist, if they're just trying to fit the narrative and get the funding to do the things they've always been doing and study things in Petri dishes. It's the same with cancer research. Right. When you have Mike, Mike on uh, and talked about that, you know, all they do is study stuff in a Petri dish. And these cells, they become abnormal the minute you put them in a Petri dish, even normal cells, let alone cancer cells. So they're not studying reality. But that's what gets them the funding. And that's what allows them to pump out papers quickly because you can get so much data from these cell lines that they can you know, rapidly grow and maintain. But it's almost meaningless, in my opinion. 
Um, and so that, yeah, so I don't know, I went off on a tangent there, but um, we just, we just have to, we have to be honest with any paper, even if it does fit our uh, maybe bias, let's, we, we need to always look at it and go, what, is this meaningful? Like, is this an actual, does, does, did what they do, does it actually uh, extrapolate it out to reality? So, but I, I agree with you. The paper was fascinating. We talked about it, about the bacteria kind of cleaning up the mess from the, uh, I think it was cells that had been undergone programmed cell death, uh, apoptosis. Um, and they come in and kind of clean up the aftermath. Um, and so that's kind of, yeah, similar to what, which I know not all cell damage is from uh, programmed cell death, right? You have other factors that trauma and things like that. Um, but it makes sense. And it's what we see. It's what I see clinically, you know, I mean, it's easier when you're doing big picture stuff to go, okay, who are the people that are getting these so-called infections, right? Who, who am I seeing come in with Fournier's gangrene, you know, where their whole perineum is rotting off? They're, they're the sickest people you can imagine. They're, they're horribly controlled diabetics or IV drug users or alcoholics. Right. Their tissue is so, health is so bad. All you need is an inciting event, whether it's trauma or picking a ingrown hair. And all of a sudden, everything can't heal right. And these bacteria come in, they're blaming all these, you know, uh, different organisms, these anaerobes and aerobes mixed together. Um, but what was it that caused it? Did they move in and just cause that on their own? Well, no, that doesn't happen to people that are healthy or with healthy tissue. So it's, it, I think the damage comes first. I think it's the same with, you know, we talk about heart disease and plaque, right? Like, the cholesterol heart hypothesis, I think, is nonsense. I think the damage comes first. The, the damage to the endothelium comes first. The plaque is just there as the plug. Mm-hmm. And we blame the plaque instead of what incited the plaque, right? Like, it's so they got, oh, that we found some cholesterol in that plaque. That must be the cause of it. We got to get that cholesterol down. It's the same thing they do with bacteria. We found bacteria at the scene. We got to make more and more drugs to kill bacteria and, and kill you in the process, essentially. You know, these things are, yeah. I know you don't like to speculate, but. <laughs> I do. I do like to, but I, I have to tell people when I'm doing it. Yeah. Do you want to speculate a little bit right now? <laughs> sure. How do you think antibiotics are working? Uh, I think if you start looking, and I don't know about every antibiotic, if you start looking into this, you see that antibiotics um, essentially can disrupt the way white blood cells function um, in, in other ways too, right? They, I think they're basically suppressing inflammation, which is healing, right? I hate the word inflammation um, because it's got this negative connotation to it, but, you know, inflammation essentially is healing mm-hmm. and antibiotics have a way of suppressing that not only with the way they probably affect white blood cells, um, they tamp down the bacterial response when the bacteria, bacteria are there doing a job, which is going to probably not feel good, right? Um, and so that's another way they can do it. They pro- they, they, we know they disrupt mitochondrial function. Um, and so you're interfering with normal cellular functions that likely do suppress symptoms. Again, I kind of liken it to corticosteroids in the same kind of manner or ke- you know, chemotherapy, even though it makes you sick. You know, it, it also suppresses things. Um, antivirals, quote unquote, they're not attacking viruses. They're doing things to supposedly to RNA or DNA or something in that in that process. Well, that's affecting the way cells function. So you probably are blunting a systemic response to an insult. And so you feel better. Um, 
but that doesn't mean the problem is fixed. And I mean, again, we've talked about this, you know, I think on Facebook Messenger, you and I have about, you know, recurrent urinary tract infections because that's something we deal with, quote unquote UTIs. And these, it's usually in females that are postmenopausal. So their, their estrogen status is essentially zero. Um, they have horrible tissue health. You know, the, the vaginal area and the periurethral area is just, is just not healthy at all. So they'll get these symptoms, burning and, and dysuria and things like that. And they get, they find antibiotics or they find bacteria. You know, they'll culture their urine and find bacteria. Oh, we got to get you on antibiotics. Well, two weeks later, they got the same symptoms again. Mm-hmm. They find another bacteria. Oh, we got to give you, and they'll end up on antibiotic after antibiotic, round after round. It never fixes this. And they go, oh, you've got recurrent UTIs. You must be colonized with these bad bugs and all this. And it's like, it's not that. It's the tissue health. And we treat this. Urologists treat this by giving women topical estrogen or systemic. And, you know, six months later, they're not having these issues like they were. It's like, so you didn't need the antibiotics. Maybe they did make you feel better because the bacteria, they're chewing on dead tissue, nasty tissue. And we see it in diabetics all the time. Bladders are full of all kinds of things, not only just probably toxic urine from their health, but the bladder itself gets damaged, right? If they're, if they're retaining urine, the bladder wall gets stretched, there's tissue ischemia, there's cell wall damage, cell damage, and the bacteria swoop in and do their thing. And the yeast come in there, you know, their bladders are full of sugar because uh, they're pouring out sugar if they're uncontrolled. Like it's not, it's not the, ba- the bugs that are the, the initiator, but we focus on that. And, and I think it does help to feel better. And there may be a, a time and a place for that. You know, I, I can't remember if it was Dr. Uh, it was Sam or Mark Bailey that talked about given antibiotics in a situation of severe, you know, sepsis type situation where you've got such a toxic load and the bacteria are just, they're just going to town having a feast that, yeah, there might be a time and a place for that. And I know there's like purists that are terrain theory purists that are want to crucify me for saying that, but that's okay. And I may be wrong on that. There, there may not be a time. I don't know. Um, and I'm happy to say, I don't know. I guess if you're at that point where you've got septicemia or sepsis and you're that sick, maybe the antibiotic is a good thing because it just blunts that whole repair inflammatory infection process yeah and if you pull your shit together after you've had that antibiotic and you start detoxifying and renutrifying and you give yourself a really good shot at getting better then it's probably a good thing because it saved your life but if you take the antibiotic and you get rid of the infection and you keep living the exact same way that you've always lived and you're exposed to the same nutrient deficiencies and toxins you're going to get that thing again and then yeah. you're going to have to do another round of antibiotics. So that, that's, a, that's completely the, the yeah. wrong way to go about it. So I think, yeah, you're right. There are times where antibiotics are useful. We're not saying that they're not. We're just sort of looking at how they work a different way. And I think that's okay to do that, um, particularly when there's, there's evidence out there, and I don't know if you've seen this, they've looked at some... Um, pathogenic bacteria like Klebsiella and Listeria and these other types of what they would consider pathogens. And what they found is that in certain situations and environments, they produce anti-cancer substances. So then I went, oh, wow. Imagine if you start getting infections because your body's so compromised and you start developing a tumor somewhere and the body's like, right, let's mount this bacterial 
infection, but it's actually the body mounting a response to produce the anti-cancer substances to go and heal you systemically. And you just get a bit of a gut symptom and you think, oh, I should probably get some antibiotics. And then you stop that healing response. So from that, I was like, okay, are there increased risks of cancers when you take antibiotics? And holy dooly, I don't know if you've looked at it, but the list of um, increased risks of all these types of cancers, um, it was like t- maybe 2.5 times higher yeah. for people yeah. taking all these antibiotics. So it's like, it's it might be helping you in the short term, but the long term, it's really doing more damage than good. I agree. I totally agree. And that doesn't surprise me. And you do have to be careful when you look at the association studies where they say, oh, well, cancer is associated with antibiotics. Well, a skeptic is going to come along and say, well, that's because those people were already sicker humans in the first place. That's why they got the antibiotics. And they were more likely to get cancer anyway. So you have to be ready for those kind of, because that's the problem with association studies on either end, right? You can make them say what you want, Instead of you have to do interventional studies for that. And those take a long, that would take forever to do. And nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to put people on chronic antibiotics who aren't even sick and then study what happened. You know, it's just not going to be done. So you have to, yeah, you have to figure out other ways to tease that out. And um, it's interesting looking at what you're talking about with cancer cells, because that depends on how you look at cancer, right? How do you, how do you view it? Is cancer this parasite that's invading you or is it a, you know, I like the way Dr. Cowan put it recently, that it's, it's like a, you know, it's like a garbage waste disposal site that once your body becomes so that organ so toxified, it's not going to dump it all right here and, and it forms a room. Basically, it's like a trash room, right? You get the capsule around the tumor and you get all kinds of stuff in there. And, um, you know, if you get rid of maybe the whatever caused it in the first place, whatever insult or, or poor nutrition or whatever it was, then that can regress most likely. And we have seen that happen with people who, who their cancer goes away, but yet yeah, kind of makes sense. Bacteria might come in and start chewing up on some of that stuff. It's, and then you suppress it with antibiotics. And so not only are you impairing what they're supposed to be doing, but you're also causing massive amounts of harm. I mean, just the effects on the gut alone. I mean, it's amazing how many people, will take antibiotics and they don't understand that it, it screws up their gut. And we get phone calls about it or yeah, people ask me about it. And like, yeah, I've had these issues. I'm like, you've been on antibiotics lately? And oh yeah, I have actually. I'm like, yeah, that's what they do. They cause a massive GI disturbance when most of them do. Um, not to mention other effects. And, and all you have to do is start looking into the, the side effects of or side effects, effects of antibiotics because they're not specific to bacteria. Um, they claim they are, I mean, a lot of them will claim that, but they're not, they're affecting your own cells, especially probably the mitochondria. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and tendons and other things, look at the quinolones, look at Cipro and Leviquin. They finally put a black box warning on that, you know, for tendon ruptures after people forever complained about that. And there's, oh no, that's not happening. That's just, that's not really significant. And now there's finally, you know, a warning for that. Um, and people, because people kept talking about it, and they became what they called floxed. You know, they were floxed, the uh, ciprofloxed. And, um, you know, David Crow did a good interview with a lady about that. If you ever want to look at that on his, uh, his Infectious Myth podcast, it was really interesting. Uh, but yeah, the quinolones are very powerful. Bactrim uh, is one of the most, it's, it's basically a little, they're all like little mini chemotherapy agents, essentially, um, which is kind of what AZT was, right? It was a chemotherapy drug. And they just repurposed it for uh, 
quote unquote HIV patients and it started really hurting them. So it's all about the drugs. It's all about symptom suppression. It's, it's all about looking at things with the, in my opinion, a backwards paradigm, uh, reversing, uh, blaming the effect and, and saying it's the cause, right? And, and the only way to tease that out is, is usually the scientific method. But in, in the body, I don't know that, I don't know how we do it. I really don't. Um, so. And maybe we're not meant to know. And yeah. maybe the only things we are meant to know for sure are things that we can validate through natural science with our own five senses. Yeah. All this yeah. other stuff when it's like, oh, we're going to look at arbitrary things on a microscope image or a microscope, microscope slide and then interpret it a million different ways. It's never going to prove anything. This is why and right. I'm not just talking about health here either. I'm just talking about right. science in general getting back to natural science. And that's why all the old studies and experiments were so good. And that's where we discovered a lot of these sort of phenomena that we still talk about today because we use the natural scientific method. These days, I don't feel like anyone's making any groundbreaking discoveries that are shocking or you know, challenging the, the mainstream med medicine or, or scientific paradigm because we're not doing natural science. It's all this uh, technology-based science. That's right. It's technology. And, it, and they wow you with the technology. And I see it all the time on Facebook. A new ad pops up or a new whatever, some post, and it's some new thing. And it has no bearing at all on anything meaningful. But, oh, we found this new interleukin marker during this, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, great. What, what, do you, what does that mean? How do you have any idea what that actually means? And like, you honestly got to get back to big picture type stuff. Um, and that's why I do like reading these old papers, even though they're not all right. They, they thought about things, in, you know, on all sides back then a little more clearly, you know, when they, they pieced, they, they still had doctors involved in looking at the patient, looking at the person, looking at the you know, disease or the disease process or what was really going on and trying to kind of piece things together. And no, it wasn't really science, but they still we're looking at things differently. And now they're focused on what I call inner space, right? It's, it's, it's getting into this level that nobody can really see and know what's going on. And they get you stuck there and you get away from the bigger picture. That's the same thing they do with quote unquote outer space, right? They go, Hey, yeah, yeah. We're going to just wait in 10 years. We're, we're going to, it's always future always. Right. Um, but they keep you looking at things you can't verify or validate to keep probably your attention away from what's really happening in front of you. Um, and going back to something you said, right, like looking at a microscope, that's not science. Seeing a static object, making an observation, that's all that is. It's an observation. A picture is not an argument. OK, an argument comes in a logical form. Um, a picture is a picture and you interpret the picture based on your own presuppositions about what's going on in that picture, about what you think these structures might be. You can make up all kinds of stories. You can give a picture to a thousand people and probably come up with a thousand different stories about what they think is going on in that picture. And so that's the problem you see as well. I mean, I remember I, on Twitter last year, whenever I was on it, it was terrible. Uh, we were talking about viruses and one of the guys posted a picture of a supposed scanning electron microscope image. And it was just a blob with a bunch of little tiny circles on it. He goes, huh, there you go. Interpret that, <laughs> interpret that. I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like you, that, that, that just, that shows you the, the I don't want to say it because it's, I don't want to be mean about it, but it's just, 
it's pathetic. Like that's pathetic. If that's all you got and you just throw a picture of somebody and say, interpret that, you interpret it. Tell me what's going on and how you know it. Tell me that where those particles are, where they came from. How do you know that those aren't artifacts? How do you know anything about that picture at all? I want you to tell it to me. If you're so smart, lay it out. You know, and this is, these are the same guys that told me science doesn't prove things, right? That's the same people. Um, and so you have to be, you have to be on your toes with this stuff. You have to know your, your stuff, know the method, know logic, like know it back and forth, be able to spot the fallacies. Cause that's all you're going to get most of the time from these people. You're going to get ad hominem attacks left and right. You're going to get red herring fallacies left and right. And you're going to get begging the question and affirming the consequent all day long. It is the MO of pseudoscience. You know, it's pseudoscience when they can't actually back up the claims they're making. And they're just assuming that it's already true. You go, well, how do you know that? Can you show me where that was validated? And they go, you're stupid. You know, you're, you're not a virologist. Oh, conversation's over at that point. Like they don't have anything, right? And another thing that I wanted to talk about just real quick is don't get sucked into the trap of where they try to turn it around on you to, to make you give them an alternative explanation because that is not how it works. That is a burden of proof reversal fallacy. It is not my job to give you an alternative against your own model if you can't validate your model. If you're making the positive claim, you should have, it should be easy. It should be so easy to just give me the, the evidence and say, here it is, you know, and let's walk through it together. Instead, they'll go, well, you tell me why people get sick or if it's not a virus, what else could it be? And it's like, that's not my job to tell you because viruses haven't been proven to exist. So you can't turn it around on on me. You know what I mean? And people get sucked into that, especially online. Um, and you don't need to go down that because it's just going to be frustrating. You just if they're not willing to actually give you evidence for their claims, just say, OK, thanks. And I'll just move on. It, it's not worth the heartache. It's not worth getting into arguments over it. Some people will, you know, will be honest and say, you know what, I actually don't know why I know that, or let me look into it a little more. Most of them won't say that. And that's okay. It's not our job to go around, you know, changing these people's minds and evangelizing them and all this stuff. It's just, let's just be honest. Let's find the people who are, let's talk, even if we disagree, because we're all going to disagree on some stuff. Yeah. Um, but we can talk about it, you know, in ways that's friendly and open and honest. And we may all come out saying, you know what, <laughs> we don't know what's going on. Uh, and that's okay. I'd rather that than people feed me a fantasy and tell me that that's my reality because that's ruled the world now for a while, but especially the last 150 years or a little more, I think the mid 1800s, things really went off the rails with pseudoscience. And uh, we, we haven't really recovered from that yet. So. Yeah, when you were talking about the guy <clears throat> sending you the picture of the virus and saying, well, here it is, it does exist. That's kind of like, to put it into perspective for the listeners, it's kind of like saying that motorbikes, when you get two motorbikes together, they're going to give birth to a bicycle. And you get a picture of two motorbikes and a bicycle and you say, well, see, the bicycle's yeah. next to the motorbikes. They must have made a little baby bicycle. That's right. It's just yeah. nonsense. They don't The they story, don't anything. yeah. That's right. It's a story. You can make up a story about a picture and pictures aren't, aren't proof. Pictures aren't arguments. Um, so that's pictures. You know, it's just, that's the gist of it. Observation is observation. Picture is not even necessarily observation. If you don't even know how the picture was made, if it's an electron microscope image, you don't know that that represents anything real. But even if you do have an observation, if I witness a phenomenon, if I see something, that's all I got. 
I, I don't, you know, I mean, that's why, you know, these, these claims about um, fields that are claimed to be science that can't be astrophysics. It's a, it's a, it's a married bachelor. You're not doing physics on lights in the sky. You can't, you have no independent variables. You might have some hypotheses, maybe. You don't really know what any of that stuff is. Don't they, they make claims. I know they, they say they do, they don't. Um, so you really just have observations. Well, there you go. That's all you got. That's not science. Mm. Uh, cosmology. It's not science. You can't look, you, you weren't there back in time. <laughs> you can't, you can't science that. I mean, evolution, you can't do science. There's no observed phenomenon. There's no independent variable that you can manipulate. It's so nonsensical, but people don't like hearing that because these are, these are religious beliefs for people. This is not just, you know, technology and quote unquote science. This, these are, these go down to a deeper level for people. And that's why they get so mad when you bring it up and point it out. Um, but you get, you got to do it. You have to point out what really is science and what isn't. That's the whole meaning of the word pseudoscience. They wouldn't have that definition. If, if everything was science, you wouldn't have a definition of pseudoscience. Cause I see that, right? I see people say, well, science just means knowledge. And it's like, well, that's a colloquial use of science. If that's true though, then the word pseudoscience has no meaning because if everything is science, then nothing is science or, you know what I mean? There's no pseudoscience. So you have to define your terms. When, when we're talking about science, we're talking about natural science, right? Natural, the natural and physical world. Um, so I, I, we have to be specific about that, but it's funny when people try to, try to skirt away from that and say, well, science is just knowledge and no oh, knowledge. I mean, that's could be basket weaving, right? I have knowledge on basket weaving. Is that science? No. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Last question, because, <clears throat> excuse me, last question, because I know you've got things to do. How important do you think it is for us to try and open up more lines of discussion and debate in this area? Because I feel like there are people out there, there are virologists, there are infectious disease experts and doctors, but they don't want to talk to us. They don't want to debate us. It's almost like, do you think they just think we're so crazy that it's not even worth their time? Or do you think that maybe they're feeling threatened that we might challenge their model too much? Like, why do you think it's so hard to generate this discussion and this debate? And do you think it's an important step in changing our sort of perspective on health and infection and viruses and that type of thing? I do. I think there's many reasons and I don't want to define divine people's motives, but there's several categories. Um, the, the top, you know, the top dogs, the ones that are entrenched, uh, the Fauci's, you know, whatever, they're not interested in truth. Okay. Um, that's a, that's a separate issue. A lot of these people, I think even if they see it, if they really recognize that there's a problem, a lot of them aren't going to speak out because it's their livelihood. They got families to feed. It's the same with doctors. It's the same issue, right? A lot of doctors, I think, probably deep down or at least coming to understand that there's something wrong with the system and the model. Um, but it's so hard to truly step away from that and to, to open up your mind to a different way because your your life is one way. You put all this hours, these hours and money and time, uh, you know, to do it. A lot of people, you know, with families and they're not there for their, their kids because they're doing their work. And then all of a sudden, when you see that that's maybe not what you thought it was, it becomes a, like I said, it's like a, it's cognitive pain, right? It becomes painful and you have a choice. And most people are not going to choose the hard road 
they're going to choose the easy road to just keep doing what they're doing and keep quiet and make their money. And deep down they go, okay, yeah, this, this is all just kind of maybe not nonsense, but I've got to, I've got to keep doing it. You know, and a lot of them are scared of ridicule, right? They're, they don't want to be ridiculed. That's a huge thing because again, they, they appeal to your reputation and popularity and in, in research circles, that's everything, right? I always hated that. I remember even going through residency, people would throw out these big names of urologists and people that did research. I'm going, I don't know who you're talking about. I, I couldn't care less, but they care about this stuff. Like it's, it's like a, it's like a little clicks in, in, in school. And so that kind of stuff becomes more important than the, the truth. Um, you know, there are those that are going to open up. We've met them, right? Like, look at, I mean, Lanka, look at Mike Donio. I mean, there's people, you know, that are coming, you know, and I know you've talked to some, um, you know, there's a, there's some telegram groups that are getting more and more people that are in, you know, quote unquote science or technology in these areas together that I think down the road, we're going to explore how can we do things in an alternative way or start just looking at things. But the problem is, getting funding for any kind of actual research that would be meaningful, it's going to be near impossible because mm -hmm. if you, if you don't follow the, the dogma and you don't, you don't have a rich donor or, or two or three, um, you're at the mercy of the system as it is. And this, this is, goes back to the bigger problem that we've talked about, right? Not just regarding science, but just the system, the systems around us that control us. And I guess that's the question is, do you want to fight you know, those systems, or do you just want to, can we, is there a way to go out and form your own new systems that don't even bother with those? And, and I don't know if that's possible because they, the systems, it's hard to get away from them. Uh, they control every aspect of your life. Um, but to me, that would be my preference would be alternative parallel pathways, not just with medicine, but with science, with community, with food, with everything. Um, and, and that may mean stepping away from technology a little bit. It may be, mean going back to simpler living. Um, there's more people getting on board with that. You're starting to see these threads, you know, and it's really exciting to see people recognizing this insane world for what it is, all the, all the puppeteering and it's all theater. I mean, I don't want to say all of it, but a lot of it is it's, if it's coming from the news or the state or mainstream academia, it really is a lot of it's just, just theater and, um, you know, you're seeing more people that get it, especially after the last two years, they mm -hmm. finally are, you think at least it's clicking that something's been wrong. Of course, now with the current situation, when they're being told to care about some war, they go right back to believe in the media, which is kind of disheartening. Um, but there are, it seems like there's more people waking up. So I'm hopeful that that includes people maybe that are virologists or, or, or whatever, microbiologists or molecular uh, biologists or you know geneticists that, that go have a light bulb moment and go you know what I don't know how I know get this but I'd like to get to the bottom of it and if we get enough people together at least we can start having those conversations it may not lead to actual research but you can learn a lot by going through the old papers and methods and just I don't want to say debunking but deconstructing what they did what they claim versus what they did Right. Like that's something that, that we've been looking at. And to me, that's the most important thing is, first of all, let's just find out how they validated these claims. Start from there. And then if we find out, you know what, this was all based on literally nothing, mm -hmm. then maybe that forms new ways to look into this stuff and see if it's actually relevant at all. So 
yeah, I, I'm hopeful. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of roadblocks for people, man. It's tough. People want to belong to a group. They don't want to be kicked outside the camp and people are tribalistic by nature. I'm not, I don't, I'm not a collectivist. I, I you know, I, I enjoy my family and friends and people of like mine. So maybe there is a component there, but, um, I don't care to belong to a group if, if they're not on along the same wavelength I am, or if it's just, you know, for notoriety or whatever. So, um, it's hard though. It's hard for people to kind of get past that. So I think that applies, especially in academia and in medicine and where people have, again, they have degrees, right. They have letters after their name. Um, man, it's hard to just kind of go, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be looked at as a quack, right? That's what they'll say. I'm a quack. Cause that's all these people have a name. They can just call you names. They'll call you conspiracy theorists or a science denier or a quack or whatever. It's, it's all nonsense, but it's hard on a lot of people when they care about what the group thinks, you know, it's the same thing when you're in high school, you know, the people who cared about what the other kids thought versus the loner who didn't care. And those loners turn out to be people who really kind of knew what was going on, mm. you know, which was the interesting thing. So, yeah. And it takes, it takes a, I don't know what kind of person it takes, but there are people that um, have that capacity to question. And I actually think that I'm one of those people because if someone came to me and said, I don't think vitamins exist. I'd be like, oh, well, my area is nutrition. That doesn't sound right to me, but you're saying it for a reason. Let me go and have a look. And it wouldn't surprise me because you know what? I've never really looked into that whole thing. Right. I've never gone back to the start and gone, how do we know that vitamins are what they say they are or protein yeah. is what they say it is or amino acids or whatever. I've never gone back right. to, the, to the origin. So if someone made that claim, I'd go, okay, I really need to take a look at this. Yeah. But when we make these claims about all these other areas of, of science, it's immediately, you're crazy. Yeah. We know that this is proven and they just shut you down. So I think, yeah, people need to, well, they don't need to, but if we're to advance our understanding and advance humanity and make this world a better place to live, humans do need to just get off their, you know, this, this pedestal and, and think we know everything and just look at where, the, as you said, where these claims come from, what they're founded in, are they founded in hard scientific fact or are they based in nonsense? And if they're based in nonsense, well, let's start paying some attention to it to try and really deduce about what's going on. Because once we start doing those things, I reckon we can turn this world around for the better in next to no time at all. We've got the understanding and the know-how and the ability to do it. It's just that those resources are directed in the wrong way, whether right. with malicious intent or not. Um, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm the exact same as you. I, if somebody, yeah, and I've always been like that, or I don't say always, but if somebody has kind of an off the wall claim, instead of me just going, huh, you know, appeal to incredulity, I'll go, huh, I wonder if there's something to that. And then there may be, there may not be, it may be kooky. Why not look into it? I mean, it could be, it could be sounding crazy, but so what? Crazy based on what standard, right? That That's my question to everybody now when they make these claims well that can't be like that I'm like based on what standard do you make that claim how do you know that um and so yeah with the vitamin thing i'd love to look into that how did they isolate these things you know was it a weird chemical you know dehydration add some acid precipitate a residue and go yep it's vitamin c 
maybe there's a, a real vitamin C that's a conglomerate of a lot of things that's in food. And then they think this stuff they make is the same thing. And it's probably not right. Like, I don't know. I'd love to know. And I want more people that know more than me to, to help me with that. Like, that's what I'm asking these people for. It's not that I'm like against them. It's that I'm, I want to know what they know. And if they claim that they know this stuff, show me how you know it. Let's, you know, it should be easy. You should be able to just take me to the papers that go, yeah, here's how we sequenced amino acids, right? Individual. I'm not talking about a hodgepodge and ratios because that's a lot what is done in chemistry, right? They take ratios and then they reverse engineer to the molecular level, right? Mm. I don't want to know that. I don't want your models. I don't want your cartoons. I want you to show me an individual amino acid next to another one, next to another one, and how you know that that's real. I just want to know. It's not that I'm, I've, I believe that almost my whole life. It's not like it's going to be some big deal. If I have, if I was proven to be true, I'm going to go, okay, yeah, that's what I thought anyway. And so it's not like it's a, I have no dog in that hunt, right? I just want to know. And I think that's what you and I, and people like us, we just really want to know because I've gotten where I don't like going around making a lot of positive claims when I actually don't, maybe don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Cause I see that all the time. Um, everybody's kind of an armchair quarterback and, and, and we all think we know these things cause it's just common knowledge and well, maybe it's not, you know? So yeah, I, I think we've got to get to the basics. It'd be nice to, and, and whether it would change the world or not, I think you're more optimistic than I am because I think the, <laughs> the powers that be, um, you know, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than just, you know, this one area. It's it's controlled over all things. Starts with education system, right? Starts with how kids are taught. And if you, you know, go to these government schools, you're going to get a certain uh, paradigm pushed on you, right? And until parents kind of take that power back and you might have to make sacrifices. I'm not saying everybody be a homeschooler, but you know what? It'd be great or get get, get together and form communal schools, right? Where, where true things are taught, where, where thing, questions are asked, right? You don't even have to teach things necessarily. I mean, you can ask questions and teach kids how to think. Like, you've got to, it'd be nice if that happened. And so I think it starts at that level, at, at community level, at people getting away from the beast system, forming communities, learning how to think, how to ask questions. And then down the road, I think maybe things will change for the better, but you may be right. It may be a, a quicker turnaround if, if the lights come on. I just, I think we, we got an uphill battle. So. Yeah, I hope so. And I'm optimistic and, and also just for interest's sake, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, recently I looked at how they um, first discovered vitamin A and vitamin D. And what they did was they took cod liver oil and they gave it to children with blindness and rickets and they were getting better. The rickets was reversing and the blindness was going away. And then when they heated up the cod liver oil, when they gave it to those children with those diseases, only the night blindness got better. The rickets didn't. So they said, well, the substance that got affected by the heat which is now no longer curing the rickets, that's vitamin D. And then the substance that wasn't affected by the heat that cured the night blindness, well, we're going to call that vitamin A. And I'm looking at that going, what? Like you guys haven't discovered anything. <laughs> and right. now you, pre you presuppose that there are these things and that's going to um, impact your ability to go and look at these things because you've already said well this is vitamin a so now there must be a thing called vitamin a let's go right. and find it and right. they'll develop experiments 
to validate that hypothesis, which could be completely wrong. Right. Right. Could it's be. just completely mind blowing to me. Yeah. And, and that's fine what they do because that is how hypotheses are formed. You can say maybe there's a substance here that's causing this or lack thereof is causing this. And you can maybe tease that out if you find the actual substance and then you experiment with it. Because I make that claim about scurvy all the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, they proved, you know, vitamin C, you know, lack of vitamin C leads to scurvy. And it's like, okay, did they prove that? Or did they show that certain foods actually prevent scurvy? Mm. Because then people say, well, it's the vitamin C in the food. It's like, okay, that makes sense because that's what I've been told. But I need to go back and look at that and and see, you know, where is this this individual vitamin at? I mean, it's fine if it's true. I I hope it is. I mean, but it's it's that kind of stuff because, yeah, I have a friend that started looking into the the, uh, amino acids. And when she found out how they isolated asparagine, it was almost comical. Uh, they took some asparagus and doused it in cold water and threw some acid and did some stuff and precipitated a white powder. And they go, yep, that's asparagine. And so, yeah, you form a lot of these foundations. And so those kind of form your framework. And then you interpret other things based on that. They're doing chemistry over here. But then they reverse engineer it to the, the single molecule level. And that's where I have issue with it. It's like, yeah, these compounds probably are real, whatever they are. You're, you know, whatever you're doing in chemistry, but it's at a macro level. And they'll take the macro and they sort of make up the micro mm-hmm. um, and you kind of get into some composition fallacy stuff there. And so that's kind of what's been interesting to me. So, yeah, we're going to have to talk about the vitamin stuff more and look into that together for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. It's probably my next thing. Cause I'm, I'm kind of getting a bit bored with the whole virus thing. Cause yep. I don't know, we've been talking about it for so long. And I think the yep. majority of people who are going to wake up to that probably have, and we might get, a few more each day, which is good. But yeah, there's definitely other things I'm really interested in looking at. So yeah, I'll keep you posted. Yes. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and speaking to me, Dr. Grant. Absolutely, man. It was great. We should do it again. I enjoy all your, all your interviews and have been great lately. So I learned a lot from all your guests and I'm happy you asked me to come on. Yeah, no, I really respect you and your opinion and your perspective on health and well-being and science. And I'm, I'm learning. I'm still learning. I have a lot to learn. Like I'm just now unlearning in the last two years and I have a long way to go to, cause there's lots of people that, you know, have ideas on health and, and within our own terrain, there's different factions and there's things I want to know even there. I, I don't, I don't claim all those are true, right? We have to tease that stuff out too hmm. and find out what's, what's real and what's not. And, and I think a lot of things can be helpful and useful. It's not always down to one diet or what you know there's lots of dogmatic claims and we've talked about that so anyway yeah we need to for our own side of things we need to be just as uh, critical and look at that stuff as well and just because we just really want to know what the truth is whether where, wherever it goes so that's what we're after is the truth and we yep. will we will get there i, I have <laughs> yes sir thanks so much dr grant absolutely have a good night pleasure to speak with you Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. The ideas discussed on this podcast do not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com forward slash podcast and join the discussion. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Until next time.